Let's take our Bibles tonight and let me ask you to uh, turn to 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. We're going to start there. Our text is chapter 29. We'll stand in honor of God's Word here tonight. 1 Samuel 27, and um, verse number 1 is where we're going to start. Last, uh, while you're finding your place, I'll take a moment uh, just to review a little bit. Um, Saul, as we saw last week, King Saul was in a really dark place spiritually, just in a very dark place spiritually. Uh, he'd failed to listen to God in so many ways throughout his administration as king, made wrong choices. But, but um, even worse than that is that he, he failed to come to a place of repentance about it. it. It's one thing to not listen to God, make wrong choices, uh, but not to repent of it. That's what gets you in a dark place. And, um, and or that's what will keep you in a dark place as well. And so he really should have been seeking the Lord, but he was seeking Samuel, who was dead. So he went to a witch who would conjure up um, who people would want. Um, and uh, so he was wanting to hear from Samuel. But instead of information from Samuel, what he really needed was communion with God. And so he was in that, that dark place. And, and so that's, that's where we left off with Saul. So I wanted to start in chapter 27 because the, the chronology of this kind of jumps around a little bit. And so some of the, some of the focus is on David and then it shifts to Saul. And then it, it shifts back to David and then back to Saul. Okay. Because in many ways, it's a comparison between the two. All right. So keep that in mind as we look at a few verses here. So chapter 27, verse 1. Has everybody had enough time to find your place now? You say, yeah, more than enough. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Okay, verse one. David said in his heart, I shall now perish in one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore in any coast of Israel so I shall escape out of his hand. And so he left. He went back down to, to Gath. He went down to the land of the Philistines. David did. David did. All right, now 28.1. Can we do that? 28.1. Just we're hitting the first parts of these chapters a little bit. It came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou surely that thou shalt go out with me to battle thou and thy men. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said, to David, therefore, I, will I make thee keeper of mine head forever? You're going to be my personal bodyguard. You're going to keep my head. Now, David was known for keeping the head of a Philistine, but he... <laughs> not quite what Achish had in mind, all right? So, now that brings us to chapter 29 and verse 1. All right, you still follow along here? 29.1, it says here, Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek. And the Israelites pitched by a fountain in Jezreel. And the, Lord of, the lords of the Philistines passed on by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed on in the re-reward with Achish. Then said the princes of the Philistines, What do these Hebrews hear? Which actually is a really good question. What in the world is David and these Hebrews doing here? Why are they in formation with us? And Achish said unto the princes of the Philistines, is not this David, the servant of Saul? 
the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days or these years, and I have found no fault in him since he fell or backslid unto me. Uh, well, I, I, I took liberty there. He fell unto me, but really he's backslidden. He is. David is backslidden at this point. He fell unto me unto this day. And the princes of the Philistines <clears throat> were wroth with him, with Achish. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, make this fellow return that he may go again to his place, which thou hast appointed him and let him not go down with us to battle. Here's their reasoning. Still in verse four, lest in the battle, he be an adversary to us for wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master, talking about Saul, should it not be with the heads of these men? You see their point? We're going to get in battle and he's going to turn on us. We've seen this before. And then they say in verse five, is not this David? <laughs> it's interesting. Achan said, is not this David? Oh yeah, it's David. They said, is not this David? The different intent. Is not this David of whom they sang one to another in dances saying, Saul slew his thousands and David his 10,000s? Philistines? Then Achish called David and said unto him, Surely, as the Lord liveth, thou hast been upright, and thy going out, and thy coming in with me in the host is good in my sight, for I have not found evil in thee since the day of thy coming unto me. Unto this day, nevertheless, the Lord's favor thee not. <clears throat> Wherefore now return and go in peace, that thou displease not the lords of the Philistines. And David said unto Achish, but what have I done? What now? <clears throat> what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servants so long as I have been with thee unto this day? That I may not, that I may not go fight against the enemies of my Lord, the King. Anybody confused by this right here? This is confusing, isn't it? I've tried to look at this from several angles and, and um, <clears throat> to try to think, what in the world was he thinking? All right, Achish answered and said to David, I know that thou art good in my sight as an angel of God. It's ironic to me that Achish is the only one that uses God's name in this whole text. Right. Not David, not Saul. I mean, this is, this is messed up. <clears throat> Notwithstanding, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go with us to battle, to the battle. Wherefore now rise, rise early in the morning with thy master's servants that are come with thee. And as soon as ye be, as soon as ye be up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now I'd like to read the first two verses of chapter 30 here. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag had and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captive, captives that were therein. They slew not any, neither either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. Friend, listen, that happened while David was with the Philistines. So the title of the message tonight, I, pr I appreciate you standing for a little bit of extra time of Bible reading, but our series is entitled When a Nation Needs Revival. And oh my soul, how, how much we as believers need revival 
in the midst of these days. And so the title of the message tonight is this, On the Wrong Side of the Battlefield. On the Wrong Side of the Battlefield. David was, he was on the wrong side of the battlefield. And you could be too. Every one of us have their propensity in us to get on the wrong side of a battle, of the battle. And so the precarious position of a backslidden child of God, the precarious position of a backslidden child of God. May God bless the reading of his word. I trust and pray that this will be a great help because it is God's word. And I know he wants to use it for his purposes here. On the wrong side of the battle. <clears throat> Sir Walter Scott first published a poem in 1808. Um, probably you may not be, and I am not familiar with the poem at large, but we most, you most likely are familiar with at least this line out of the poem. Are you ready? Oh, what tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Yeah. Oh, what tangled web we weave, we weave when first we practice to deceive. So, that basically means when you lie or you act dishonestly, you're bringing on more problems than what you even realize. In fact, one individual said about that saying, uh, as I just researched it briefly, it has to do with this, a domino structure of complications. Who in here tonight needs that? A domino structure of complications. My friend, you don't. A domino structure of complications? You say, I'm not even sure what that exactly means, but it sure doesn't sound good. You're right. I mean, one thing dominoes and then another thing. The next thing you know, man, your, your life is just in a bad way. David and his life and the men that were with him, their situation, they were in a very precarious situation, which means, which means this, uh, uh, your, your circumstances are beyond your control. Um, you're in a dangerous spot. And David, David got there because he first practiced to deceive. He deceived Achish. Achish would ask, where have you been today, David? Oh, I've been fighting the, the Israelites in the northern part. And when really he'd been fighting against the Hittites and the Hivites and the others that were the leftover Canaanites that were there. Well, he started, he started down that road lying, lying and deceiving. And he ended up in a situation I don't think he ever dreamed that he would be in. I don't think, well, I know for one minute, it did not go like David thought that it would go. And when you get out of God's will, it never does. It never does. David is literally lined up on the wrong side 
of the battlefield. He is in formation. Oh, my soul. Can you believe this? I mean, really, just stop and think about it. He is in formation, shoulder to shoulder with his men, mind you, but shoulder to shoulder in the, in the rear reward, which means the, the back part of, of the, um, the, the units as they're going by, the lords of the Philistines, and they're watching their men watch, march by unit after unit, garrison after garrison. And, and suddenly he sees these, these Philistines, the, the brass of uh, Philistia sees these Israelites. And here is David who once stood on the battlefield and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? First Samuel chapter 17. And now he's standing shoulder to shoulder with Goliath's cousins, or uncles or nephews or brothers. I mean, I'm just simply saying he's in with the enemy. Things went from bad to worse. I remember Brother Sam often saying that person's life or that family's life is in such a mess, you would have thought they would have had a plan on how to make it that bad. So complicated. It's a tangled mess, isn't it? I mean, when you really take it in, this, my friend, is a tangled mess. How did David get himself in such a spot? How is it that he's on the wrong side? I mean, literally, and we're going to go over the geography of this in just a minute, but, but literally Saul and the children of Israel, the Israeli army is on the south side of the Jezreel Valley. And here at, at this point of chapter 28, uh, they're on the, the Philistines are north of them. They're around uh, Mount Tabor, they're at Mount Gilboa. And, and so there, there's the valley in between them. And, and so, but, but David, hang on, David would have been in that assembly because he was at Aphek. Now, I, I've got to go backwards here just a little bit because I think the text does. But, but nonetheless, I want you to understand that at one point, David was marching with the Philistines to go into battle against Saul and his own fellow countrymen. I wonder if you've ever made a tangled mess of your life. If you've ever been in a relationship that you needed to get out of because you knew it wasn't any good for you or you were on the wrong side of an issue and, and maybe pride kept you from admitting that or maybe there was a business deal that was going south in a hurry. You knew, you knew that as a believer, you had no business being a part of that or, or you're in a complicated family situation of your own making and, and, and you look at this tangled mess and, and it's worse than when you're fishing and your line just goes... You know what I'm talking about? And, and you're ready just to cut the line and think, I can't get out of that. And I mean, all, all that's going on there. And, and, um, and yet, you know, I think what we see here in this text is actually God intervening in David's life in a very unexpected way. But really, it was the only thing that, that could have got David out of this mess. And and yet here's, here's, I don't think this is what the text is admonishing us to do. Yeah, just go ahead and live like you want to because God will get you out of whatever kind of mess you want to make of your life. I don't think that's what the text is saying at all. Because if you have that mentality, yeah, I'll just, I'll just do what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a decision without God. That's the reason I wanted us to go back to chapter number 27 to show you that David's problems began when he made a decision outside the will of God. 
When he decided without God's leadership, when he thought what he would do, what he thought was best, that's really where his problems began. And so you might think, well, I'll, I'll just let God fix all this. Hey, listen, don't go there because there's really no guarantee that God's going to get you out of all that. Case in point would be Samson. Now, God got Samson out of a whole bunch of mess that Samson himself made, he, he himself made. But, but then at one point in time, there was past a point that God said, that's basically enough, Samson. And, and so his life came to a very tragic end. I think we're supposed to consider here tonight, how in the world did David get here in the first place? So that you and I might avoid being on the wrong side of the battle. Being on the wrong side of the battle. It's almost like David's deceit worked all too well. It worked so well that Achish said, you know, David, I hear about your exploits and your battles. I want you to fight right alongside of me. And I'm sure David thought, oh man, what did I get myself into? Okay, so let, let me do this here. Geographically, what's going on in the text, because you, you have a movement in the text that's kind of unique because in chapter number 28, the Philistines are to the north in Shunem. If you remember that, you remember that back in 28 and verse uh, one and two, somewhere right in there, a little bit further down and maybe three and four, that's where it is. And so they're there in the north part. Saul is, is there on the southeast part of the Jezreel Valley. The Jezreel Valley is so crucial because it was like a major passageway from Egypt to Mesopotamia and just a, a major thoroughway. It's a very fertile area. Uh, we got to see it. It's basically where the Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought. It's just a, it's a great place for battles. It really is. And so it's been fought over and fought over and fought over. And so this is the furthest north that the Philistines have been. And I think their objective is really to try to divide Israel, to try to split it from the north and the south, because if they can get control of the Jezreel Valley, then they have Israel at a great disadvantage because they are divided. Hey, by the way, the enemy always wants to divide. He always wants to divide God's people in healthy relationships. And so that's, that's what is going on here. And so when we come to chapter 28, they're in Shunem. But, but actually in chapter number 29, they're in Aphek. Aphek is further south and to the, and to the, um, to the west. And it's basically on the coastal plain of the Mediterranean Sea. And so it's about 40 miles. So like if Shunem was here, Look at the map this way. Sorry, I have to turn around to make sure I'm telling you the, the right way. So Shunem is here. Then Aphek would be basically right here, about 40 miles to the south and to the west. And that's where we find David lined up with the Philistines along with Achish. So evidently what the author of the text has done, the Holy Spirit obviously using, using the man of God to record this, is he's saying at one point in time, David was right here about to move in position with the other Philistines further to the north. And while Saul is here at the southeast end of the Jezreel Valley, and he's gonna go to, to uh, the witch of Endor. And we understood that last week. We covered that last time. But at this point, it's like the text goes back in time a day or so to show here's what was going on in David's life while this was going on in Saul's life. Is everybody following that so far? I'm just trying to account for what the text is, the movements that are in the text as to what was going on. And so this backs up a little bit to show while Saul was on his own spiritual journey and in such a very dark place, listen, so was David. 
And David's in a very precarious spot because in this backslidden condition, he knew it wasn't God's will for him to go back down to Philistines. Everybody, everybody understand that? It's very clear. There's no way you can make a case that God was in that. No, he wasn't in that at all. And what we need to understand is that when you make a decision outside of God's will, you get on the wrong side of the battle. And right now he's lined up with those Philistines and, 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 um, and Achish has said, I want you to go with me into battle. And, and at this point, I have to say, I, I don't think that David has in his mind that he's actually going to fight against Saul and the Israelites. I don't think that's his intent. I, I, don't, I don't think for a moment that David is actually wanting to fight against Saul because had David wanted to fight against Saul, he already had two occasions that he could have take, taken Saul out. And, and another, uh, I had, are you thinking with me here on this? Because I mean, I had to really think, oh, wait a minute. Because David at one point, whenever they say, uh, when Achish says, listen, you got to go back. David says, wait a minute, why, what have I done? It's almost, it makes you think he really wants to fight. That's what it leads you to think. The, let, me, let me back up just a little bit here. The Lord of the Philistines, the five of them say, what in the world is David doing here? By the way, the world knows where the child of God belongs. Right. The world knows the kind of life that we ought to be living. And even the Philistines knew that David was out of, out of place. Isn't this the servant of Saul? Isn't this the one that we've heard them singing at Bethlehem Elementary School? How that David has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. And, and don't you know that those little Israelite boys and girls even are out there on the playground, and they're playing like one of them's Goliath, and one of them's David, and they're taking Goliath out again and again and again? Okay, now I'm just speculating there. But they said, isn't this David that sang his praises? Hey, listen, why do, why do you think, Achish, that he's going to fight with us? What's going to happen is in the heat of battle, he's going to turn on us. So then we're not only fighting a battle there to the south, but also we're fighting a battle right here in the midst of us. This makes no sense, Achish. You've got you to send him home. And Achish actually comes to the defense of David, which, by the way, there must be something wrong with a child of God when somebody that's in the world comes to the defense of a child of God and has only good things to say about a child of God. That ought to be a red flag because if the world has only good to say about you, there must be some area of compromise and compromises in your life. And Achish says he's only been good. He's only been loyal. And that's all that Achish is, is saying. He, but all the time that Achish is defending David, David has been deceiving Achish. And he says, he says to the Lord of the Philistines, David has fought battles. He's proven himself. He won't turn. And, and, but the Philistines say, but wait a minute, don't you understand that if he wants to get back in the good graces of Saul, all he's got to do is turn on us and take a few of our heads and he's right back in their good graces. So they had this squirmish, this battle that's going on between them. And, um, and so finally Achish comes to David. And he says, David, you're going to have to go back. And David said, what have I done? Right, now, this, this is where I came to. And, and it almost makes it sound like, man, he really wants to fight against Israel. But again, had he wanted to, he could have taken Saul twice. Think of this. When Saul died and Jonathan and the other sons of Saul, when they died, David genuinely mourned Amen. over Saul. When the Amalekite 
In 2 Samuel chapter, everybody following this right here? In 2 Samuel chapter number one, when the Amalekite made up this story that he was the one that killed, uh, King, killed King Saul, thinking that there was somehow gonna get him favor with David, David had him killed. So I don't think there's anything in the text that actually indicates that David wants to now be a traitor and fight with the Philistines against Israel. But I'm telling you, it doesn't look good. I said it doesn't look good. And it's leaving us in a place of confusion. Which, by the way, we ought to take heed to this. You should never live your Christian life in such a way that leads to a question mark rather than a, a, a statement. Where's the David that stood on that battlefield? And I'm not trying to be hard on David here tonight. That's not my intent. My intent is actually trying to help all of us because we can find ourselves in exactly the same place as David was where our lives and our decisions, listen to this now, your life and your decision can cause people to think, hey, I thought you were a Christian. I, why are you listening to that? Why are you talking that way? Why are you acting that way? Why are you going there? Why are you hanging out with them? Why are you saying that on, on, on Facebook? Why are you saying that online? Why are you acting this way when you are a believer? Hey, listen, a backslidden, a backslidden Christian making decisions out of the will of God leaves a question mark to people around them. It makes people wonder what in the world is going on in his life or what in the world is going on in her life or what in the world is going on in that family? What in the world is going on there? Are you following me? That's where I am with David. David, what in the world are you doing? What are you thinking? So, so what was he doing? Was it that David was maybe, maybe secretly thinking, okay, when I get the right moment here, the only way out of this is to fight my way out even from the middle of the Philistines. We don't know if that was what he was doing or not. I think at this point, the only conclusion I could come to when David says, what have I done? Why can't I stay and fight? The only conclusion I could come to is this. He's playing right along to save his hide. I said, he's playing right along. You know, it, actually, just think about it. If Achish said, David, the Philistine lords say, you need to go because you're a danger to us. If David said, see ya. Huh? If, if he had said, you know, um, that's kind of the out that I was looking for. I, I think it wouldn't have went well for David. I think David, David was shrewd enough. David was smart enough to know that at, at least for a while, he had to play the game here. He had to play along. Is this making sense to you? He had to go along with this. He had to make it look like, oh man, because otherwise he was in such a precarious spot that, that he was jeopardizing his own life and the life of his men by being there. I mean, I think, I think it's this. David's decisions led him to a place where he was in a jam and in a, in a trap that he himself had set. And he did not know how to get out of it. And of all people that God used to get David out of that providentially was the Philistine lords of all people. But you know, our God has been known to use even lost people to help his wayward children get back where they need to be. He used a Nebuchadnezzar to chasten the children of Israel to get them back where they needed to be. He, he used even some sailors out on that sea as Jonah was on his way, trying to get away from the will of God. The sailors are more in tune with what's going on re regarding uh, God and his will than what Jonah was. And I thank God that God every now and then uses even some lost people to say, what in the world are you thinking? Isn't that ironic? 
I believe it was Robert Chisholm who said this. He said, uh, God has been known uh, to not only uh, he, you know, prepare the table in the presence of my enemies, but use my enemies to set the table. And that's what's happening here. God used the Philistines to deliver David in his backslidden state. I wonder how serious God is about you being right with him. If God's willing to even use the Philistines to give a wake-up call to David, and say, David, what in the world were you thinking coming here in the first place? And only God could have got him out of this situation? That shows you just how much God cares about you being right with him. It also ought to be a wake-up call for everybody here tonight to realize my decisions have an impact, not just on me, but on my family. Because the reason we read on into chapter number 30 and verses 1 and 2 is because while David was out of God's will, shoulder to shoulder with the Philistines, he left his children and his wives and their families, I mean, wide open to the attack of the enemy, the Amalekites, who came in and spoiled Ziklag, burned it with fire and took their families. You know what's happening today? There can be some men that get on the wrong side of the spiritual battle. Get on the wrong side of the spiritual battle, leaving the family wide open to the attack of the enemy. Making a decision, even just one decision, out of God's will, that left his family open to the attack of the enemy. Um, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time here tonight reminding you that we are in a spiritual battle. And, and there are many fronts to that battle. There are many positions in that battle. And what every one of us, men, ladies, boys and girls and young people, what is so important that you do is that you stay on the right side of those battles. Because if you make a decision that gets you on the wrong side of the battle and you're on the side of the enemy, then you're in a dangerous spot yourself, but you're also, oh my soul, you're jeopardizing the well-being of your family. Are you on the right side of the battle? How about the battle for purity? Are you on the right side of that battle? With, with all these, there's a way that you can kind of get on the wrong side of the battle. You, you, kinda, you can kind of get in the place where you get on the wrong side of the battle. You can say, you know, I don't, this is not really that big of a deal. I'm telling you, some decisions that we think are not a big deal are a big deal. And you can get on the wrong side of the battle. Or you can get on the wrong side of the battle by getting a little bit bitter in your spirit or cynical in your spirit or, or critical in your spirit and saying, you know, all that they ever preach about down there is standards or, or convictions or holiness or separation or something like that. And I'm not saying anybody's got that spirit. I hope that you don't. But listen tonight, if you begin to sense that you've got that, that critical spirit where it's always just like uh, preaching against this and preaching against that, and, and you're not taking it as a warning, then you, you could very well be on the wrong side of that battle and, and you're making some major decisions on some issues uh, about, about morality and about modesty and about separation and about 
about being a child of God. And listen, I, I just want to encourage you here tonight. Don't make any decision in a backslidden state except just to get back right with God. Because when you make some decisions or you position yourself and you think, well, that's not that big of a deal or I don't really like how he preached on that. I don't really like this part or I don't like like this or that. Then listen, you're, you're in a really precarious spot right there because it doesn't sound like you're making that decision at a time when you've been walking with God. And if you're making decisions at a time when you haven't been walking with God, then you got to know Ziklag is wide open. And what's going to happen to your sons? What's going to happen to your daughters? And what's going to happen to your family members? And what's going to, what's going to happen to your, your church family? What's going to happen to the people that you're supposed to be reaching? Because if you're not where you ought to be spiritually, that means that you're not reaching the people that you ought to be reaching spiritually and their lives suffer for it. Are you listening to this now? Come on now, let's, let's really think about this because, because Sunday school classes and bus routes and friendships and church life and family life and marriages and on and on can all suffer and be in a very precarious place when you get on the wrong side of the battle. That's where David was. And I thank God that God cared enough about him and his future to get his attention but I've got to ask you tonight, what's it going to take to get your attention? You probably know some families that began to make some wrong decisions. Probably, okay, wait a minute. Let's not talk about somebody else. How about you? You probably made some decisions that led you out of God's will and then further out of God's will and then got you in a really precarious spot. Am I right about that? How did life go for you during that time? How did it go for Abraham when he went down to Egypt? Well, you say, well, he actually prospered pretty well. Yeah, he came back with Hagar. How'd that go? Still paying for it today. Still paying for it today. Hey, can, I, can I remind you here tonight, there are consequences even for forgiven sin. And I thank God for His mercy and His grace and that He can get us past some things and get us through some things. But it'd be real good for everybody here to take heed to this tonight. And if you're, if you're in a place where you're not positioned right, does that make sense to you when I say it that way? You're not in a place where you're positioned right in terms of the spiritual battle or the spiritual issues or the issue on devotions or the issue on prayer or the issue on praise or the issue... I mean, there's so many issues that are, that are there or so many positions that are there. If you're not positioned right, I'm, by that I mean right where God is on it, then you're in a really precarious position and you don't even realize it because next thing you know, you'll be side by side by Philistines. Maybe married to one of them. Or seeing your family taken off. It's serious stuff, isn't it? I wish there was a way that young people, we could show you um, just to help you see before you make some bad decisions where some of it goes. You know, like when you do driver's ed, they show you those videos about people that had bad wrecks because they didn't wear seatbelts or they were drinking. Yeah. Why do they show you that? They want to scare the living daylights out of you. Yeah. For good reason. Because bad things happen when you drive like that or when you don't wear your seatbelt. Everybody in here ought to wear their seatbelt. Amen. I'm, I'm not asked to preach that. Tyler had a driver instructor called Driver Ed. That's his, name, his name was Ed, so they called him Driver Ed. So anyways, he showed him all these videos. And man showed him, here's what happens. Here's what happens. Video after video. And he said, Dad, it was gruesome. In fact, I think it's called Red Pavement. There's a video made back in the 1990s. They still show it. 
Red pavement. Well, you can understand why. It's pretty gruesome. You know why? It's a little bit of a shock factor because you need to see what happens when you drive recklessly. I don't feel like I've got the liberty to go in the conversation that I had with a family, with a, uh, an individual here this morning about a, a family that many of us know and love very dearly. But, but, but I, don't, I don't feel the liberty there. But I, I, I would not be honest with you if I, didn't, if I didn't confess you to say that, man, as I prepared even more of this message this afternoon, I couldn't help but think about that family, that one, one decision or two or three where the family kind of got out of sorts with whatever was going on. And I, I don't even remember all the details. And I was early here when all this took place, but kind of got out of, okay, got in a wrong position. Hmm? And now I don't know all, but they're not in church and kids are divorced and all kinds of bad things unraveling. Well, I, I understand, no, no, before somebody objects, I understand that there can be somebody that is faithful to God and still has bad things happen. Come on, I, I get that. I understand that. I, I do. I do. I can understand that there are people that are trying to live for God and yet things are going on in the family. I totally understand that. But, we, but understanding that does not mean that we can't put two and two together here, that when you make a decision out of the God's will and it leads your family out from under the influence of what would help your life the most, that being his word and his spirit and his ways, and you begin making decisions apart from him and you suddenly are positioned uh, with the enemy and you're spending more time out in the world than you are in the church and you're more with the worldly people and watching worldly things and, and taking all of that media in and, and even ridiculing preachers that preach against, you know, at the time Hollywood or, or, or uh, whatever is out there now and, and just kind of mocking them and even going on websites. I'm not even saying that, that happened in this particular case, but I know that it does, that there can be people that get on podcasts or get online and they badmouth independent fundamental Baptists and, and because uh, they, they say that all these things and, and you get in this bad, this bad position spiritually, you're just in a real bad, dark place. Well, don't be surprised when you make a bunch of decisions that not only impact your life, but also the lives of your kids and your grandkids. And I realize I'm not being real clear right here in the sense of giving particulars, but I think you, you can fill in the blanks, isn't that right? And you can see how all this plays out. And you know enough of what's going on either in your own life or in the lives of others that you've loved dearly to know that, listen, what preachers preaching right here is right on because it's out of God's word and it's exactly what happened in the life of David. And it's not only what happened in the life of David, it is what happens and it, it oftentimes is what's happening. And it may just be that God right here is sending a little bit of a wake-up call to you to say, listen, don't you make that decision on your own. You make sure that you're under God's authority, listening to his word, making the right choices and leaving the results up to him and don't take it in your own hands because listen, it is way too dangerous and too serious for you to make decisions on your own without God. It'll mess you up. And don't think, ah, I've heard all that before. You're taking a wrong position. You're marching with Philistines. And what in the world are you doing there anyways? Boy, I'm glad God loves enough to record these things in his word and confront us like this, aren't you? I just kind of feel like we've had some rough preaching the last four services. And some of you think, man, what's wrong, brother? God is, he's like mad. I'm really not. I mean, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary this past week and happy and, 
and things are going well. I'm not mad. I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned that you could just get here and kind of go through the motions, but your heart get in a wrong position. The next thing you know, you're making wrong decisions. And the next thing you know, you're not in church, but every now and then. The next thing you know, you're living much more like a Philistine than you are like an Israelite, figuratively speaking. Next thing you know, the Malachites have come in and all kinds of destruction in your home. I just don't want to see that happen to people that I love dearly. I don't want it in my own life. I don't want it in your life. Young, young men up there, college age, hey, you're making some of the biggest life decisions right now. I mean, these are monumental decisions right here. Monumental. Who you're going to marry, that's a monumental decision. Amen. Don't you make that out of God's will. Right. Where your family's going to go to church, if your family's going to go to church, these are big decisions. These are big decisions. Young men, these are big decisions right now. I mean, you're some of you 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, 17 years old. Big decisions right there. But so as it is for 40-something-year-olds and 50-something-year-olds. And, and you're not in a little safety zone right here where you can just kind of make whatever decisions you want to make and not have any ramifications for that. No, listen, it doesn't work that way. Your decisions have a bearing on your life. And so do they when you're 60 and 70 and 80 and 90. Right on up. Because we're never in a safe place here. The Philistines are always around and they'll always be glad to take as much ground as you'll give to them. If it's not them, it's the Amalekites. You get what I'm saying. David was on the wrong side of the battlefield. In a precarious place because his backslidden condition got him there. Basically, he thought this and I'm done. He thought he had more to gain by being with the Philistines than what he had to lose. No doubt that had to go into David's thinking. I think I've got more to gain if I go back down to the land of the Philistines than what I have to lose. But when you're out of God's will, you have more to lose than you have to gain by getting out of His will. And David learned in a hurry we'll see it in chapter 30 as they're ready to stone him and he had to encourage himself in the Lord he realized like that and I think while he's surrounded by all these Philistines and he's wondering okay my life's about done right here and he knows he's supposed to be king he knows he's got God's call in his life didn't he brother Dean I mean he knew he's supposed to be king and, and may, I don't know what was going through his mind there well somehow God's going to get me out of this one again too but why put yourself in a place like that By the way, whatever stressful situation you're in is not really the biggest issue. The issue is more about your relationship with God. David was in that spot. He had God's leadership and call in his life, and yet he's making those decisions out of God's will. And thank God that God intervened and used the Philistines of all people to get him out. He learned like that. I've made a bad decision right here. But I, I do thank God for 1 Samuel 30 and verse number 5 where it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. He had nowhere else to turn. But thank God when you come to those spots, 
He lets you come back to him. Let's stand together here tonight. I trust it's been a help to you. On which side of this battle are you? If you're on the right side of the battle, you're, you're where God wants you to be, then just keep marching with his people, doing what he's called you to do. But if spiritually you're not in the right spot, you're not in a good place, then by all means, get in a place, in a position, that position of humility, bowed in his presence, to acknowledge that, God, I haven't been thinking right, haven't made right decisions, and by some choices of my own making, I'm in this situation. But more than that, I need you more than just your deliverance. Father in heaven, um, as we're in this spiritual battle and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and God, there are things that weigh on a person's heart or enter into their minds, into our minds really get us in a wrong position towards you and the things that pertain to you. I pray you'd help us here tonight. Thank you for loving us enough to confront us and to help us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing page 251. Jesus is calling if the Lord has spoke to your heart and, um, and he's reaching out to you.